Today's episode of Sports Headlines is presented by Podgo. What's Podgo? Well, Warner, Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. So you're telling me that if I include an ad from Podgo, they're going to tell me up front how much I'll make? Of course. If you apply today, actually, to become a member, you'll be immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Really? So it'll be specified for my show and my type of podcast? Yeah. So all you have to do is go to podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot co, C-O. And when you apply, make sure you add our podcast, Sports Headlines, and the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right. I'll do that as soon as I can. Yep, again, that's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Let's get back to today's episode. Welcome back to the Sports Headlines Podcast. This is part two of today's episode. Make sure you guys go check out part one of our episode where me and Warner talk about uh, the Matthew Stafford trade. We give our instant reactions to that. Talk about the Sean Watson and the Texans continued botch of that entire situation and some uh, MLB news. Tomorrow we'll be joined by Brooklyn Nets uh, insider Matt Brooks, who was on the show back in August before the bubble. So make sure you guys go check that out. But for now, forget all that. We have a special guest who was on back with us in July, summer after the draft, Stephen from the Guiltiest Charge podcast. What's up, Stephen? Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Great to talk about some Chargers football with the Chargers fan for once. Um, so... <laughs> I've had to listen to Warner's crap about the Packers for the past uh, three months or so. So, understandable. Yeah, you know they uh, are, are trying to snipe our guy uh, Joe Barry already, and, and Joe Barry hasn't even reported to the Chargers. So, <laughs> you know, I, I see them working in the darkness. Hopefully, it doesn't pan out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, really quickly, Brandon Staley gets hired by the Chargers. What was your immediate reaction to the decision? How do you like like the staff he's playing together so far? Well, I mean, I, I've been uh, fortunate enough to talk to with him. I write with him. Uh, and he's been on the Brandon Staley train or had been on the Brandon Staley train since about November. Like, you know, he was trying to convince me to write an article about him and talk about him on the podcast around Thanksgiving break to, to like try and, you know, prepare people for like him getting a head coaching job. And I was like, no, you know, he's only been in the NFL for like three, four years. Like I, I still want to see more. I wanted to see how they finished the, the rest of that season. Um, but just like really digging into him and talking with Ryan and, and talking with his co-host Frosty Rucker, like, you know, the way that Brandon Staley has risen through the coaching ranks is, is really no surprise to people who, genuinely know the sport and know how coaching works and things like that so I was really excited about him when he when the hiring was announced because you know yeah he's a defensive guy but he got his start coaching offense he played quarterback and so he really sees things from a unique perspective as a defensive coach because you know we've seen like a a former receiver play you know play in the NFL and then coach defensive backs or, or like a linebacker coaching tight ends we've never really seen a quarterback turn into a defensive guru and so you know I think that provides a unique perspective and you know the work that he did with the Rams was amazing and it's not like the Rams were not well coached they had Wade Phillips for God's sakes like Wade Phillips is one of the best defensive minds in football history and he took essentially the same roster and and took it from a middle of the pack defense to the number one defense in the league so you know I can't wait to see what he does in Los Angeles and I think it's gonna be a great hiring for uh, the Chargers going forward. Yeah, how do you like the uh, the staff he's put together so far with Joe Lombardi being the offensive coordinator, Renato Hill being the uh, defensive coordinator? How do you like the way he's put together the staff so far? I like it. Um, I'm a little skeptical about Joe Lombardi, as I think everyone is, uh, because of his time in Detroit. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm all in favor of giving him a second chance because, you know, if we didn't give – great coaches second chances we don't get Andy Reid in Kansas City we don't get Brian Dable and Josh Allen in Buffalo like there are other cases of guys even Bill Belichick who failed in Cleveland goes to New England and then you know obviously establishes the dynasty of of the entire sport so you know I'm a little skeptical of it but I think the melding of minds between Staley Lombardi and the quarterback quarterbacks coach Shane Day who's coming over from San Francisco 
has a lot of experience in the Kyle Shanahan system. I think the offense is going to be just fine. And frankly, like as long as the miscommunications that were happening last year are not happening this year, then the offense is going to improve because I mean, the offense put up a bunch of yards, a bunch of points last year. The problem was their performances in situational football. And that yeah. really stems from, you know, not having a constant line of communication between the coaching staff. And I think that's going to be a big improvement under Brandon Staley's watch and, and Joe Lombardi. I think there's going to be a nice melding of minds and philosophies there with the offense. Yeah, shout out to Ryan, the guy uh, name dropped. He even, I think when the Rams were still in the playoffs, like, hey, you guys should be able to look out for Brandon Staley get a head coach. We're like, oh, really? I don't know about that. But so he kind of saw the future with that hiring. Um, one of the biggest questions with the Staley hiring coming to L.A., is how, you know, the defense switching from a 4-3 scheme to potentially a 3-4 scheme, how do you think that benefits or works against some of the guys' strengths, meaning like Joey Bosa, Duran James, and others? Well, I'm super excited to see what he does with those two star players because, you know, if as soon as you pop on the Rams tape from last season, you know, Aaron Donald is a defensive tackle, but they moved him around all over the field. They moved Leonard Floyd with him. They moved you know, linebackers up with him. The entire focus was to create one-on-one situations for Aaron Donald. And like, I think he had the most pressures in the league by like 30, like he lapped everybody. It's just insane. And Aaron Donald's a fantastic player, but again, you know, Wade Phillips, very stubborn, didn't move him around very often. And by Aaron Donald's standards, he had a down season in 2019. And so Staley comes in, moves him around all over the place. And you know, builds this deep, builds that Rams defense around Donald. And then, you know, having a player like Jalen Ramsey, you know, obviously Derwin doesn't play corner, but, you know, Jalen Ramsey, what he does is shut down one part of an offense. And that's what Derwin can do too. You know, he can shut down tight ends. We've seen him do it against, you know, Travis Kelsey and, and Darren Waller and, and other guys. So it'll be a little different, but he's going to build this defense around the, two best players on the team and they're two incredible players. So, you know, it is different because you have a defensive tackle and a defensive end and a safety and a corner. But I mean, what Staley has talked about is that he's going to build offense and defense around his best players. So they will like their base run will be a three, four, and they're going to have to address like an outside linebacker spot, um, maybe bringing in Leonard Floyd or, or drafting someone. Um, but they're going to play most of their time in nickel and, and do a lot of four front, four man fronts, five man fronts, three man fronts. So it's going to be a lot of mixing things up. And that's definitely something you notice when you watch the Rams from last year. Yeah. So one of the guys you mentioned was Leonard Floyd. And there seems like to be a certain buzz about potentially him and John Johnson, the uh, third two guys yeah. that the Rams would have to resign and for Johnson, especially pay a hefty contract for a team that is severely over the salary cap. How, how much of a chance do you think there is of L, uh, the Chargers bringing those two guys over and um, what how they'll be able to positively impact the Chargers defense? Yeah, I don't think they'd be able to get both uh, unless they cut, you know, a Casey Hayward or a Trey Turner type to be able to free up, you know, 10, $11 million. Uh, I think they'll get one. And, you know, the way that Brandon Staley talks about John Johnson, I think if they had to choose, I think it would be him, which obviously would mean Rayshon Jenkins does not come back. I know a lot of people in the Chargers fan base are a little mixed on him, but the reality is that Rayshon Jenkins played really well last season. Uh, obviously, I I would say that John Johnson is an upgrade over Rayshon just because of his versatility. Um, but, you know, I, I think bringing Rayshon back makes a lot of sense if you can't get Rayshon, but you know, John Johnson pairing with Nasir Adderley and Alohi Gilman and mentoring them. And then you add in Derwin James. I think that'd be a fantastic pairing. And, you know, I love Derwin. He's an amazing player, but if you lose Derwin again, then you have a very high uh, top tier safety in John Johnson to kind of fill in the gaps. So I think if Brandon Staley has to choose one, I think it would be John Johnson, um, but he might kind of price himself out because Leonard Floyd, uh, he had a career year, but he's still kind of looked at, uh, you know, he still is carrying some of that former first round bust label with him. So I don't think his contract would be as robust as a John Johnson because of his versatility and playmaking ability. Uh, but that definitely is something to keep an eye on this year. 
Yeah, one another guy who not free agency, but a guy who's buzzing. You guys have mentioned up at, from guilty as charged. Um, go check them out. Um, Orlando Brown, uh, right tackle converted to left tackle when Ryan, Ryan Stanley went out. How big of a uh, asset and acquisition would that be if our Chargers were to get Orlando Brown? And if they were to get him, would you still go offensive line with the 13th pick? Oh, man, that would be huge. You know, we talked about it on today's show. Like, if the Ravens come out and say, or if they're taking calls for Orlando Brown, the Chargers absolutely need to be on line one, do whatever it takes to get him. Because, you know, I, I'm a fan, like, I love the the draft and, and building things. But, you know, let's say you draft, you know, Samuel Cosme, who is my favorite left tackle. What if he doesn't pan out, right? Like, there, there's always that chance that he turns into another DJ Fluker or, or you know, that – you know, the bust rate of first round picks is so high. Orlando Brown is a Pro Bowl player right now. You know, he was the he was arguably the best right tackle in the AFC last year. And he was very, very good at left tackle this year, making a switch midseason, like you said, which is no easy task. So, <laughs> you know, the Charters have not had a young top tier left tackle since Marcus McNeil. And it's been a huge problem for the Chargers. And I think getting Orlando Brown to man that front and then, you know, I don't think it would cost a first round pick. Um, I think it would be more like a second and a fourth type of package. So you get Orlando Brown. You can still go offensive line at 13, which I think they absolutely should. You know, if Rayshon Slater is there, that becomes a no-brainer pick. You can play him at left guard, right guard, whatever, and then move him to right tackle once Brian Blaga moves on. Or Elijah Vera Tucker, same thing. So if they could trade for Orlando Brown and then draft an offensive lineman at 13, the Chargers offensive line woes are over. <laughs> like it becomes <laughs> such a, it's such a big upgrade to go from, you know, Sam Tebby, Trey Pipkins, Trent Scott, even Russell Okun to then getting Orlando Brown has been one of the best offensive linemen, um, you know, in the last few seasons. Yeah. Now a guy that we talked about a lot back in whenever we last talked, was Justin Herbert. Now, we both, you guys did a film session on Herbert. We, I did a film session on Herbert. And he just, I feel like everything we said negative about Herbert, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff is still there, but what impressed you the most from year one in Herbert? What do you think has to improve upon the most going into year two? Well, the, the biggest thing that impressed me was just his ability to make plays under pressure. And, you know, I don't know what it was about that Oregon offense or coaching scheme or, or what, but like there were a few times where he would get pressured and he would just fall over at Oregon. Like the, the, I want to say his passer rating under pressure at Oregon last year was in like the forties. Like it was by far the thing that most concerned me about him because you can learn how to read defenses. It, that wasn't obviously that great at Oregon either because it was a one read offense. Right. But the thing that concerned me most was his ability to throw under pressure. And what does he do as a rookie? He has the highest passer rating of any quarterback in the entire league <laughs> under pressure. Like, it's just absurd. Like, if it, if he would have gone from what he was at Oregon to, like, 15th in the league, like, I would have been very happy, right? But he went from, you know, his worst asset to turning that into the best passer rating in the league. Like, it's just absurd. Um, you know, I, I loved watching him play. And really, like, you know, going back to week two, that throw – to Tyron Matthew or not to Tyron Matthew to Keenan Allen over Tyron Matthew excuse me that was when I was like okay this guy is special like he's gonna do it and then the next week he has that touchdown pass to Keenan Allen in the back of the end zone and I was like okay concerns all squashed like I'm all in and I knew that he was gonna be a star and have a good season so I think the one thing that he needs to work on going forward is really diagnosing stuff post snap because you would see him make a lot of checks, you know, down the season, he was doing a lot of things from the line of scrimmage, but you know, teams would move things around post snap and he would still get a little confused. We saw that in the Miami game in the new England game, you know, teams that traditionally do that a lot. And that's another reason why chargers fans should be excited about Brandon Staley because Brandon Staley can teach Justin all of that because he's one of the best at post snap disguises. That's why he was so good in Los Angeles with it for the Rams. So I, I think that really is something to be super excited about going forward because Brandon Staley defensively can teach Justin Herbert a lot of things that really like I, I, I was a big Brian Dayball guy, but you know, Brian Dayball doesn't have that kind of versatility that Brandon Staley has to teach Justin Herbert um, to figure out defenses that way. 
Yeah, before I get my thoughts on Herbert, you brought up Dable, and it's crazy. I brought it up several times. This head coaching class was so good. Like, Dable didn't get a draft, but Brady, Biennemi, Eberflus. I mean, he probably wouldn't have gotten one of the top jobs, but, I mean, you would have thought out of, like, Nick Sarani for Philly. I don't even remember the guy for Houston. He's irrelevant. But you would have thought that <laughs> one of those guys would have gotten the job, and none of those four – so that just speaks about uh, how good of a coaching class this was. But for me, um, well, it also hold on. It also speaks about how bad the Philadelphia and Houston jobs <laughs> were looked at because, you know, the the guy who got the job, uh, Coley, I forget his first name in Houston. This is like his only Steve interview. Yeah, yeah, Nick Sirianni in in Philadelphia. That was his only interview. Like the, those two jobs are are such bad jobs. And my co-host Alex is an Eagles fan. Yeah, and he was shit in his pants thinking that they were going to hire Josh McDaniels because that's how bad the job was, right? Like it's a mess there and it's even a bigger mess in Houston. Yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Um, for me, for Herbert, um, outside of what you said, like the post-snap reads, he has, and granted, I did my film session mid-seasons, like right around, I think the Jets game. And so obviously things might have changed as the year went on. Before I was like, he just has some of those like F it throws. I'm just going to throw it F whatever I'm seeing. I'm just going to throw it yeah. to the cannon. Um, so obviously, and you've seen guys like Josh Allen still doing a little bit, but he's obviously worked down, like not throwing as many of those F it balls. Um, so I kind of like to see Herbert just do a little bit better at that. But he's outperformed everybody's expectations for Absolutely. sure. Um, and probably rookie of the year, no doubt about it. Um, Really quick, sorry to keep going for back in play, uh, fourth year. We're talking about coaches. Urban Meyer to Jacksonville's uh, kind of mixed bag. Would you want him as, like, if we didn't hire Stanley, Stanley would you have liked Meyer as the Chargers coach? Yeah, you know, the three of us uh, on our podcast, we were mixed because I, I wasn't, like, advocating for them to hire Urban Meyer, but if they would have, I would have been just as happy because, you know, that brings – you know, the kind of presence to the Chargers that, frankly, they've never had. And, you know, an Urban Meyer-Justin Herbert pairing makes the Chargers the talk of the town. It makes them the number one draw. Like, it brings a lot of buzz. And obviously, that shouldn't drive the decision, and I don't think it did. But, you know, like, I'm a big fan of what Urban does. I think he brings the best out of everybody. The staff he's assembling in Jacksonville is not quite the kind of staff I would have been expecting. But, you know, I, I think Urban Meyer... I think in general, like the jump from college to the NFL is really overstated. Like if Jim Harbaugh can go from college to the NFL and win games, then Urban Meyer can too. Like if you can coach football and you know football, you can do it at any level. Like that's just the reality of the situation. You know, if Phillip Rivers goes out in, in South Alabama and he wins four high school ch state championships in a row and makes the jump to the NFL as a head coach, like he's going to succeed because he knows football and I, I would have been happy if they hired him. I think really the Chargers and his interest was kind of just foo-foo. Like, it, I don't think it was legitimate because I think he was laser focused in on the Jacksonville job from day one. Uh, and he needed a team to kind of be like, hey, see, like, oh, Justin Herbert, I would love to coach him and just like dangle it out there. So, you know, give him a little more leverage. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think him and Jacksonville is going to work out. I really do, uh, especially once he gets Trevor Lawrence. But um Unless yeah, Alex. they mess it up and take Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah, I would be pretty surprised if that happened. I know he's an you know, Ohio State guy and he recruited Justin, but you know, I think you take the generational quarterback, and I think he's smart enough to do that. Yeah. Um, really quickly, before we get to some draft talk, and we'll wrap this up. Talking to town, who's the best L.A. quarterback right now, Stafford or Herbert? I mean, right now it's still Stafford, man. Like, I, I – I'm a huge Matthew Stafford fan and he's proven his ability. A lot of people like don't recognize his talent just because he was in Detroit. Like the man was on pace for 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns before he broke his back and he played through that injury. So, you know, he's one of the toughest, most durable, respectable quarterbacks of our generation. You know, he's just happened to play for Matt Patricia the last few years who doesn't know shit about offense. Um, so I, until Herbert, has a, a, a more prolonged peak I think it's her I think it has to be Stafford just because uh, you know he's proven it for a period of time and that's no disrespect for Justin Herbert that's just in general how I view the quarterback position like longevity matters to me and 
I need to see Justin Herbert, you know, have a sustained, you know, peak before I say, oh, he's the best quarterback in, in, in the city because Matthew Stafford, you know, he is a top 10 quarterback, Justin Herbert, he might be, and I think he's going to be, but Matthew Stafford is one right now. Yeah. The disrespect that is coming towards Matthew Stafford. So like, it's ridiculous. I don't know if you saw, we had to post a poll. Like who would you take Stafford or Lamar? Because one of our co-hosts warned, he, like he was arguing Lamar's, but like, no, he's not taking Matthew no. Stafford yeah, a times out of a hundred over Lamar. You know, we've seen what this Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay offense can do for quarterbacks, right? Like, I mean, think about what they just did with Jared Goff. <laughs> you know, they had to send a first round pick to get rid of him. <laughs> and that man was, you know, he led them to a Super Bowl. And, you know, you remember, like, you think back to that game against the Chiefs, in LA when it was like 55 to 50. Oh yeah. And Jared Goff looked like he had all the tools, but you know, the reality of the situation is that that offense is so quarterback friendly. We've seen what it's done for Ryan Tannehill's career, what it's done for Aaron Rodgers this past year, what it's done for Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Matthew Stafford is going to have an absurd, absurd season next year. And, you know, everybody knows the lack of running game in Detroit. He had a 100-yard rusher like 11 times in Detroit over the course of 12 seasons. By the way, by the way, people listening, he's not talking about 11 seasons, 11 games. Yeah, it's – so it's just wild. And, you know, we saw what Cam Akers just did in, a, in, a, in two playoff games. Like, you know, the offense is going to thrive under Matthew Stafford. It's going to be much more explosive. And he's not going to throw as many interceptions as Jared Goff does. And people don't talk about this, but Jared Goff has as many interceptions and fumbles as anybody in the league since he's been, since he was drafted. And people talk about Carson Wentz's issues turning the ball over. Jared Goff is equally prone to turnovers and nobody really talks about it. Exactly. Maybe because they've won recently. I don't know what the reasoning is. And also really quickly, they'll introduce Warner if he just joined. Um, People want to talk about Stafford who's 32. Aaron Rodgers is freaking, how old is he? Warner, you don't know this better than me. What, 37, 38? I think he just turned 37 in the season. Stafford, if he wants to, he he has another 10 years in his Sean McVay offense if he if he wants to. He, he's fine. Um, Warner just joined us. Um, what, what's up, Warner? Nothing much, man. I'm glad I could hop in for a little bit. Yeah, so really quickly, before we go on to our last, I'm going to uh, talk a little draft here. So we talked about Justin Herbert br- uh, briefly just a few moments ago. What impressed you the most when, because when you talk back in July or August, we both said, oh, Herbert, you suck. Sit behind Tyra Taylor. And he just shut everybody in the world and their aunties up. Um, what impressed you the most about Herbert Warner? What do you want to see him improve upon going into year two? I think what impressed me the most, and it's actually kind of what I want him to improve on as well, is is the his processing skills, able being able to find um, receivers, his receivers all over the field, and also his pocket presence, moving in and out of the pocket, um, kind of manipulating his leverage um, between the defender, the pass rusher, and, the, and his offensive line, uh, no matter how bad that line was. And, and the main thing I want to improve on is those, those kind of careless throws over the middle. I, I said he, he um, really de- developed his processor and was way better than I thought it would be, but it still isn't pitcher perfect. And he, he had some mistakes throwing the ball, you know, off his back foot, 65 yards downfield into double coverage and, and either leading to an interception or just a, not a smart throw and an incompletion. Yeah, uh, really quickly to add off of that, in prep for the film session, I used the Chiefs game, the first one, obviously the last one didn't mean anything. But uh, the first one, and I think it was some of the throws the fourth quarter, I was like, Justin, what are you doing? We could have beat yeah. Kansas City. Um, so, yeah, but heck of a year by him. So let's talk a little draft talk here. Obviously, you know, first off, appreciate your coverage of the Senior Bowl and stuff like the clips you put out. Appreciate that. Yeah, One guy that you've been raving about, and I slowly, as the week developed, started raving about too, James Hudson, tackle out of Cincinnati. Um, is he the guy that impressed you the most over the Senior Bowl we, uh, practices? If not, who? Um, of the offensive tackles, I think it was definitely him. You know, I, I think when you're talking about Senior Bowl winners, I think it has to be Quinn Miners, the offensive guard slash center out of Wisconsin Whitewater, who uh, literally was not even on the draft board at the draft network. Like it's absurd. Like, and now people are talking about him as a top 100 selection. So, you know, I'm a big fan of his. I think the chargers would be, you know, very wise to invest a third round draft pick in him, in him if he were there. 
But, you know, when you talk about James Hudson, he's so intriguing as an offensive tackle because he's only played the position for like 12 games. You know, he, he played defensive tackle in high school. Or he played defensive end in high school, played defensive tackle in college at Michigan, transferred to Cincinnati because he was stuck at the bottom of the depth chart. And he, they moved him to offensive tackle. He plays the bowl game in 2019 and then starts all of the 2020 season, which was a shortened season. I think they only played 11 games, right? Yeah. So the physical tools there are, are so intriguing because he's 6'5". He's got really long arms. He's got an incredible motor. And he plays offensive tackle like a defensive end. Like he's so aggressive and violent with his hands. And he really wants to make first contact and throw you off your spot. And most of the time it works. Obviously, there are some times where he'll lunge forward and, and somebody will swim right past him. So that's definitely something to work on. But the physical tools there are so intriguing. And I'm, I just love the way that he approaches the position with that, men, with that violent mentality. It's not super common. And he, I think he made himself a lot of money this week. Yeah. Um, so the Chargers have four picks in the top 100, two third rounders in a first and a second. Would you consider at least spending two, maybe even three of those picks? Am I crazy to think you would spend two or three of those picks on offensive line? No, you're not crazy. You're smart because the Chargers offensive line was a disaster last year. And, you know, I thought the Trey Turner deal was smart, you know, trading a guy like Russell Okun, who's older, obviously coming off the pulmonary embolism. I think he only played for like two games for the Panthers. So you get Trey Turner, who's still young, a Pro Bowl guy. I understand that deal. He's never had any kind of injury history. And then, of course, like he comes to the Chargers and he, and he can't get healthy. And then Brian Balaga had injury history, but he never missed. I mean, he had one season where he tore his ACL. But other than that, he generally played 12, 14, 15 games a season. And this season, like, <laughs> I, I don't think people understand, like, what he tried to go through because he hurts his knee against the Chiefs. And he tries to play through it, right? And then he hurts his back because he tried to play through that knee injury. And then he comes back too early from the back injury and he re-aggravates the back injury. And then he comes back too early again and he hurts his ankle. And then he tries to play through that. And then he hurts his ankle again. Like, you know, the season for Brian Blogger could not have gone worse. But, you know, you had six players start a game at right guard. You had Trey Pipkins not show any kind of development at right tackle behind Brian Blaga. And you had to eventually turn to Storm Norton, who was an ex, who was in the XFL last year. And I thought he played admirably, but definitely not kind of the guy that I want to be a building block player. And Sam Tevy, I think Sam Tevy took a, a nice leap forward. Uh, he really did, but he's not really a guy I would start. And then you have Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp, who were two of the worst players at their position in, in terms of pressers given up. And, you know, I, I'm not the biggest pro football focus grades kind of person, but both of them were bottom three at their position in grades as well. And so I think Turner and Bulaga will be here next year. I think they will be more healthy next year, but I think they should have at least two new starters on the left side. Uh, I think Dan Feeney will be back, but I think you, you draft a tackle at 13. If you can trade for Orlando Brown, like we talked about earlier, obviously do that. But I think you draft a, tack, a left tackle at 13 and you draft someone to start at left guard later on. And I think you start the two rookies, deal with the growing pains and and at least like there's more talent up front, right? Like they'll probably struggle a little bit, but you know that they at least upgraded the position in terms of talent. And that's really what they need to do this year. Yeah, they got upside. I see where you're coming from um, there. Who would you necessarily want them to pick at 13, like as an offensive line? Obviously, Pendace will not going to be on the board. Um, do you think Rashawn Slater falls? Do you think he gets picked in the top? I think I've seen somebody pick him or mock him in the top five, um, which I don't personally agree with, but I think he's probably tackled two um, in this class. Who, who do you think the Chargers should go go with based on their, their scheme, the offense they want to run, and, and the players you perceive being available? Yeah, you know, in terms of Rayshon Slater, you know, I'm a big fan of his. He's incredibly mobile and like he shut down Chase Young. He really did uh, yeah. two years ago. So I would love that selection. I'm going to warn everybody throughout this draft process. It's not going to happen <laughs> because he's I don't think that he's going to be there. You know, he's getting a lot of buzz as potentially being better than Panay Sewell, which I strongly disagree with. I <laughs> Panay Sewell to me is like the embodiment of the perfect offensive tackle. 
And if he falls past pick five, whoever Great drafts Rayshon Slater should be fired because Naysul <laughs> is a generational tackle, man. And, and I love Rayshon Slater, but, you know, so it's going to be interesting. The second reason it's not going to happen, the Chargers really value length at the offensive tackle position. And Rayshon Slater is 6'3", and his arms are short. So, you know, we saw what they did with Forrest Lamp. Forrest Lamp was, you know, arguably the best tackle in that draft class. And he's been an offensive guard for them. So did a pretty bad one at that. <laughs> to be fair, he's been hurt a lot, but you know, I just don't think that they would spend the number 13 overall pick on someone that they would view as a guard. And I don't think he's going to be there. So to me, it becomes about uh, Samuel Cosme from Texas and Christian Darisoff from Virginia tech. I think they're different tackles. I think Cosme is far and away a, a much better pass protector and I think Christian Derrissaw is a bully, you know, mauling type of offensive tackle. So I would think, you know, if the goal is to protect Justin Herbert, then I would think that it would be Samuel Cosme. And, you know, they're very similar body types, taller, longer players, really athletic, can do a lot of unique things with them in terms of, you know, getting to the second level. Their mobility is fantastic. But if your goal and emphasis is to protect Justin Herbert, and you got to take the better pass protector, and that's Samuel Cosme, in my opinion. Sean and I know a little bit about that. He was our first-round selection in our uh, Chargers rebuild. So um, I'm with you all the way on that one. Uh, what's your take on Alex Leatherwood, though, in the senior bowl? To me, his, his footwork just looked slow, and he was kind of getting blown by, not necessarily just by speed rushes as well. Where, where do you think he ends up landing yeah, you know, I, I think people are really going to overthink it with Alex Leatherwood. I, I really do. Um, you know, he showed this week, the, the first day at the Senior Bowl in practice, it wasn't pretty. You know, Quincy Roche out of Miami uh, and Janarius Robinson from Florida State really gave him a lot of problems. You know, they're faster, longer guys. But, you know, he gave them all kinds of business and work on Thursday too. Like he bounced back. He showed that he had that ability to adapt and learn on the fly. And, you know, he showed that he's a dog too. Um, a lot of people have said that he might be a guard. I think that's kind of, frankly, I don't know if this is, if we can swear here, but I, I've been swearing. So ahead, um, the, the idea of Alex Leatherwood being a guard is bullshit. Honestly, it really is because I mean, he, if he can be the best offensive tackle in the sec, then he can be the best offensive tackle in a draft class or, or play offensive tackle in general. So if the Chargers took him at 13, that would be a reach in my opinion, because I think athletically, you know, Cosme and Derrissa are, are much more, you know, they are much more athletic, but if they drafted Alex Leatherwood at 13, I would get it. Like it would make sense. And at least they're investing in the offensive line. Right. So, uh, but to me, like, you know, if they want Alex Leatherwood and traded down to like 20 and took him there, I would be, you know, thrilled. I think he's probably going to end up in like the mid 20 range. Uh, and I think he's going to be a fine offensive lineman in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Warner, you got anything? Yeah, so you got five tackles going in the first round? It's, it's um, a loaded offensive tackle class in his defense. I mean, because we saw last year we there was, what, three really studly guys, and then Andrew Thomas, who was the first overall tackle, um, yeah. picked, who I, I think has a nice future. Um can't remember how many were picked in the first round, but it seemed like they were flying off the board in the first two days, at least. Yeah, last year there were six taken in the first yeah. round. Uh, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, who I had like a third round grade on <laughs> um, at that point in the first round. Um, I think there will at least be seven this year. I think that the, if you look across the league, like the offensive line play and specifically the offensive tackle play, it's been really bad. And I think everybody who is looking for a quarterback also needs an offensive tackle. And you look at, you know, there are so many teams with young quarterbacks. And the first thing that you hear about is like, Oh, they have to do a better job protecting that quarterback. You know, obviously the chargers, Bengals, (laughs) even the Cardinals, like the Cardinals drafted Josh Jones, who I was a big fan of. They need to upgrade the tackle position. I like Creed Humphrey there. I love what Creed Humphrey did in uh, mobile, 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 whatever. I love what he did at the senior bowl. I think it's Mobile. I think that's how most people say it. Um, I think there will be seven. And if you count Elijah Vera Tucker as an offensive tackle, then it will be eight. Um, so He's still versatile. Yeah. So I think there will be at least seven taken. You know, same thing with Rayshon Slater. If you count him as a guard tackle, like, you know, 
tomato tomato right but I think there will be probably 10 offensive linemen in general taken in the first round yeah really quickly brought up uh, the Bengals and stuff I think one of the reasons why we prematurely this all talk from the Chargers one of the reasons we saw uh the Dolphins prematurely start to uh it's because Herbert and Burrow were playing so well you're like ah crap now we have to see <laughs> we better hope our guys get, get to our guys. Herbert. so yeah. just speaks to how well Burrow and Herbert played Burrow really needs offensive line help um yeah you know a lot of people have connected the dots with him and Jamar Chase there um I, I think their receiver room is great. Honestly, I'm a big fan of T Higgins and Tyler Boyd is super underrated. If they don't go offensive tackle to me, it should be Kyle Pitts. The, uh, he's not a tight end. He, he's classified as a tight end, but he's not a tight end. Like sort of you know, like Marcus so said, flexible, yeah. you know, big receiver body, but technically big enough to play tight end, I guess. Yeah. Like a lot of people have compared him to Darren Waller and I get that, but Darren Waller's are also like 260 pounds. Kyle Pitts is like 240. Like, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, to anyone who's listening to this, Kyle Pitts can block now. Like, he, he's not, you know, Gronk type level of blocker, blocker or even like a Virgil Green, but he can block. Like, he's a good blocker. But that kind of versatility to me, like, get rid of the tight end label out of your mind because he's not a tight end. He's so much more versatile than what a tight end is. Like, Hunter Henry's a tight end, like, bona fide tight end. Cal Pitts can line up anywhere. They they even put him up in running back and ran and handed the yeah. ball off to him a few times at Florida, man. Like the versatility that Cal Pitts brings, like we need a new position label because tight end, it doesn't fit. Yeah. So two things here and then we can wrap it up. Um, going back to the Bengals, if Slater, because I don't think Penace will be there at five. If the Dolphins take him at three, let's just say, it is up to uh, Rashawn Slater for the Bengals or Chase. Do you take Slater? or Because I think that's the problem where people are like, ah, I think you take Chase there if Penay's not there. Do you take Slater or do you take – who else do you take? Well, I, I, I'm going to say I, I do think Penay is going to be there because oh, really? I, I think that there's going to be at least three quarterbacks taken in the top five. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see one at one, two, and four most likely. I think the Falcons will draft one. And we had this conversation too. Like, teams are going to have to trade up to get their quarterback this year. And you the know, Panthers the, would be a perfect one. They seem to be in the market for one this year. Yeah, and we saw them go after Matthew Stafford. So if they're sitting there at eight, thinking that they might not be able to get a quarterback, then you know they should call Miami and get a trade back to get their quarterback because they really do need one. So I, I think it is possible that we might see four quarterbacks taken in the first four picks this year. Like, it's going to be crazy. Like, the quarterback mobility this year in general is <laughs> it's going to be insane, man. It's going to be so exciting. Um, so I do think Panay Sewell will be there at pick number five. If you're talking about Rayshon Slater versus Chase, I would still take Slater because Slater, you could, you could still leave Jonah Williams at left tackle. I know he got hurt this year again. Um, or you could have Slater start at left tackle. You could have Slater start at right tackle because Bobby Hart, like that guy was so bad. <laughs> you could um, throw him in at guard and he'd probably yeah. be way better. Than yeah. And, and their offensive line was a little better after they signed, uh, what's his name, Quentin Spain. I thought he helped them out pretty well. So you can you can draft Slater still and, and you get a high level offensive lineman who can play left guard, right guard, right tackle or left tackle if Jonah Williams isn't, you know, healthy yet. So I think if I'm the Bengals, I'm taking an offensive lineman. Same thing with the Chargers. You have to protect your quarterback who just tore his ACL because of the offensive line issues. Like, you know, if I'm Joe Burrow and they don't draft an offensive lineman at number five, I'm asking for a trade immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, get me out of here. Yeah. Free uh, Joe Burrow. Do you think, real quick, do you think that the Bengals could potentially trade back a few picks if somebody really wanted Jamar Chase and still be able to grab Slater? Because uh, at six, it's Philly. At seven, it's Detroit. Eight's Carolina. You talked about them maybe trading up. Then it would be, uh, if they did trade up with the Dolphins, then it would be the Dolphins at eight. Um, And then you have Denver and Dallas to wrap up up the top ten. Do you think they could trade back to, like, um, even spot six if, if the Eagles really wanted Jamar Chase? Hey, listen. We're open to trading them. If, if you don't trade up, though, we're going to take Jamar Chase. Um, Maybe use that as leverage. Throw me an extra, yeah, throw me an extra third-round pick or fourth-round pick to move up a spot, and, and then they get Slater and extra capital down the road. Do you think that's a poss- possibility? 
Well, I do think that they could trade back, but not because of a receiver. I think, you know, the way that the receiver position is viewed in general, it's not really something that you trade up for. And sure, the Eagles might want Jamar Chase, but they could also take Devontae Smith or Jalen right. Waddle. Like the, the receiver class this year is outstanding. I love Kadarius Tony as well. So I think if if the order stays as is, right, the Dolphins select a Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith reuniting with Tua or an offensive tackle and the and the Bengals are sitting there at five and the Panthers are sitting there at eight and they need a quarterback. Then you make that trade or, or with the 49ers or something like that. So, you know, it, it's a very similar conversation to what the chargers were, what we were talking about for the chargers when they were five or six, right? Like if it goes as is, and you know, another team wants a quarterback, then 100% you should trade back because the Bengals like outside of quarterback and receiver, they need everything. <laughs> they need, they need an offensive back. lineman. Yeah. Running back too. Yeah. Good call with Joe Mixon. Forgot about him for a second, but you know, they need a corner. They need a defensive end. They need an offensive lineman. Like they need everything. So I think if, if the Bengals are smart and Panesu was off the board, then 100% you trade back. You can still get Rayshon Slater. Yeah. If Rayshon Slater happens to go earlier, then you could take a Kyle Pitts or a Jalen Waddle. So you know, it's a very similar conversation to what the Chargers should have been having if they were in the top six, too. Like, if your best player available, who I assume would be Penesul, isn't there, then you do everything you can to be trade back and, and grab the next guy. Yeah, and final thing to wrap up the show, who is the guy you think people should be paying more attention to as we get into deeper into the draft process? Well, I mentioned him. Uh, Kadarius Tony for me. You know, I, I right now – this it probably can it can change and probably will but right now i have a higher grade on tony than i do Jalen waddle i think Kadarius tony i forgot you tweeted that i was like oh (laughs) (laughs) i know everybody was like what are you serious like Kadarius tony to me is so versatile and if you want to talk about like a tyree kill type everybody talks about Jalen waddle but the thing that makes tyree kill tyree kill is that he's a great runner too yeah, like he creates so many possibilities on offense because he can run like a running back and because he can run routes like a receiver. And obviously he's super fast. And that's Kadarius Tony to me. And he's only played receiver for, I think, two years because he played quarterback in high school. I think he's a very underrated route runner, which he showed, which he showed this week in yeah. Mobile. Uh, he had a few drops, which obviously are not great. But, you know, I think in terms of a versatile weapon, like – if I had to, if I'm sitting there and I have a number one receiver, like, you know, I have a, a, you know, a Keenan Allen, for example, like if I'm choosing between Jalen Waddle and Kadarius Tony, I'm choosing Tony because Tony can open up so many things for your offense in terms of being a runner, in terms of being a pass catcher. And, you know, teams need that, that run after catch ability that Tyree kill brings. And Jalen Waddle is an over the top burner, but he's not, the kind of run after catch kind of threat that Tony is. And I saw some things, some people were saying that he's not fast enough. He's probably going to run a four, three. So uh, get that out of your mind immediately. And he, he showed the record. He's just, he's just too slow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like Jalen Waddle is, he's a great punt returner and he's a great downfield burner, but you know, if I'm choosing a receiver, I want more than someone who's just fast. Like I want someone who can run routes, who can. <clears throat> MVS. Can <laughs> yeah well it's the same thing with henry ruggs right henry ruggs going as the first receiver was outrageous to me because you have cd lamb jerry judy who can do so many more things of course it was the raiders though they've made so many terrible draft picks in the last few seasons so wait is tony your wide receiver three he is yeah tony's my wide receiver three uh and then i have waddle after him and then amari rogers who's another guy i think amari rogers could be a special special player to do very similar things. I think he's very similar to what Debo Samuel does for San Francisco. I think Amari Rogers would be perfect for that kind of role. And again, really the NFL right now is becoming, you know, very similar to what the NBA is doing about positionless players, versatility. And that's what tone guys like Tony and Amari Rogers bring to the table. That's not what Jalen Waddle brings to the table, frankly, like, you know, he's just a downfield deep threat who happens to return punts, but Tony can return return punts too. So does Amari Rogers. Like, and you get in so many different things with them. Yeah. Um, so I think Tony is one of the more underappreciated players in this class right now. No Rashad Bateman. Bateman. 
I'm a big fan of his too, but again, he's a route runner, like, which obviously you need 100%, you know, like that's what makes Keenan Allen and Devonte Adams so good. But, you know, he's just not as versatile as the other guys. All right, Warner, one guy, you know, we have a mock draft with John Bogan coming on Thursday. So guys, listen, make sure you guys go check that out. It's a podcast exclusive. Um, this turned it way more practically just an episode. <laughs> but, but Warner, who's the guy that you feel like people aren't paying enough attention to that people should be looking into more as we get to further into the draft process? You know, um, I, I really there was there was a, a good amount of talk um, coming coming out about this guy, but it's kind of died down. Um, and and that's uh, Jeremiah Owosu Koromoa, if, if I can say his name right. Dude, real quick the names in this draft the names in this draft are outrageous like i was i was looking like if you look at the senior bowl roster like the ucla defensive tackle you're like come on man like can we not have an easier name right, right. Goodell's gonna get up there and um pick his in it is um uh, <laughs> tackle yeah. From UCLA. Exactly. Like, like can't your name just be uh tyler david or something like something simple <laughs> Yeah. Just, just bring back Steve. Anyway, sorry to, <laughs> the most bland yeah, name. Sorry to interrupt you, Warner. You're good, uh, but but I, I think whatever team he goes to, um, yeah. probably in the late first round, whether it's Green Bay would be nice. Although I, I think a lot of players, like Amari Rogers, Kadarius Tony, even Rashad Bateman, would be really nice for Green Bay. Um, Any well. receiver, <laughs> just about, just about. Um, but I, I think, I think. Um, if Green Bay does what I hope they do and turn their defense into a four-three defense, um, not necessarily a cover-three defense, but a four-three defense, uh, then they're going to need to revamp the linebacker position. I think a great way to start that is with um, with the linebacker out of Notre Dame is what I'm going to call him. Um, but but I mean I think he could go to the Saints and play a good role uh, there as well. Demario Davis is aging yeah. and they are in cap troubles. If he went to the Chiefs in the late first round. Um, the, the only team that in the late first round that I don't see him going to is the Bucks because they have two guys named Levante David. They are just stacked. They're, the yeah, Bucks they, may be the toughest team to draft for. <laughs> like they are just loaded everywhere. No, I think <laughs> but, uh, I think the Buccaneers will take a left tackle because I think uh, what's his name Devonte or not Devonte Smith. Uh, actually, I think it might be Devonte Smith. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Anyways, their left tackle. I think his contract is, is expiring, so I think they're going to target a, a left tackle there. Yeah. So Did thank you, Steve. What is I thought Worse played left tackle this year. Did he play right no, tackle? Worse was right tackle, and he was honestly like amazing. He like, was yeah. incredible. So <laughs> the good. one sack he gave up was to Khalil Mack when Mack like threw him over with one hand. Yeah, that was that was an incredible play by Mac. But yeah, yeah um, really insane. Yeah, really quickly for me, um, I like the Tony pick. Like it, I think we're talking about the same play where he said a couple plays. It's just like wow, it was oh my gosh, he just murdered his defender and had him. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it. It was just insane. Uh, Tony would be a great fit. Tony and Amari Rogers be a great fit. I think for Green Bay. Warner just are again any receiver for the most part would be great for you guys. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's James Hudson out there. We're starting to get a lot more talk now. Surprisingly, TFG he was not high on James Hudson at all. I was yeah. like, okay, I'm not sure about he, that. He's but. super. He's super picky about his offensive lineman. That's something I've learned about him, which is fine. You know, I, I think like the number one thing that I personally learned about Justin Herbert and that experience is that. You know, when you're evaluating players, you got you have to have a little bit of imagination and like because the projecting part of it, like obviously you have to grade what you see. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you only graded what you saw out of Justin Herbert, like you probably slapped a late round first or second round grade on him, and he was the best rookie quarterback in NFL history. So yeah. you know, you got to be able to imagine things a little bit, and especially with a guy like James Hudson, who's only played offensive tackle for 12 games, like everything about James Hudson is potential right now, and that's it. Yeah, so thank you, Stephen, again. This is our yeah, first time covering the draft. Having a lot of fun so far. So for people who love That's coverage, the best, man. Yeah, having a lot of fun evaluating players. So this is Stephen, co-host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Remember, guys, tomorrow, Matt Brooks, a reporter covering the Brooklyn Nets, will be on with us. And then Thursday, mock draft special. And I think we're uh, there, there's a game Sunday that we might that we're covering. I don't know what it's what's, called. What's that game called? I don't know. It's like the, the big cereal. 
Vinci it's called, it's called the Tom Brady tournament. Like, honestly, oh, we might as well rename it. Hey, I wouldn't even be surprised if that game goes to OT and Brady gets the coin toss again or Mahomes gets some freak injury that he yeah, gets him sidelined in the third quarter and the Bucks make a comeback because Chad Henney's behind <laughs> under center. Oh, Tom Brady's playoff. The dumbest rule of professional sports is the NFL's overtime rules. Actually, really quickly, who wins the Super Bowl? You can keep it as short or as long as possible. Who wins the Super Bowl? So it's not having you on. Uh I think it's going to be the Chiefs, man. I really do. I know everybody that's charged. Like, I can't watch another Tom Brady Super Bowl victory. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. And I know Chargers fans are like, well, how can you root for a division well, rival? Well, how do you root for Tom Brady, who literally has ripped our hearts out like five times in the playoffs? So um, I do think it's going to be the Chiefs, though. I, I don't know. Like, the biggest weakness of the Buccaneers is their secondary. And that happens to be, like, the best unit in that – the Chiefs have is Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and, and all those guys. So I think it's going to be a great game, though. I think it's going to be like 42 to 37 type of game. I hope so. We're going to have a blast calling yeah. that game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think it's going to be the Chiefs, and I think Mahomes is going to have a, a fantastic game. Yeah. The closer and closer we've got, it's like if you ask me after the Chiefs beat the Bills, I said Chiefs, it's going to be a blowout. But the closer we've got into the game, we're doing a film session on Wednesday to preview, so we haven't looked at that yet. But the closer we get to the game, the more I'm like, Tampa might win it with Kansas City missing their both uh, starting tackles. Uh, yeah, their... that was a big problem for Green Bay, and they were only missing one of their starters. Yeah, so <laughs> now one thing you're going to have to do if you're Todd Bowles, you can't blitz Patrick Mahomes. You're going to have to try to get some pressure just rushing for him, probably just dropping seven in the coverage. I'm still go Kansas City, but don't be surprised my pick changes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't think the Bucks even need to send pressure because the tackles are out. So you can just let Shaq Barrett and JPP feast on, on Patrick Mahomes and those backup tackles. I also think it's going to be the Chiefs, and I swear, <laughs> if Tom Brady gets another Super Bowl, and I got to see him on that platform, I'm just going to bed. <laughs> I'm just falling asleep on the spot. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the Buccaneers could definitely win, man. Like, they're a great team. That defense is nasty. I think Levante David, you know, in terms of underappreciated star players, like oh. Levante David needs to be at number one on that list because he's – He's probably the second-best linebacker in the league, easy. And the oh. first might be his teammate, Devin White. So, you know, that linebacking core, you know, you mentioned JPP and uh, Shaq Barrett. That's a great defense. It's a great front seven. Vito Vea coming back is huge for them. Yes. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Buccaneers won. I just, I think, you know, you got to go with the better quarterback. And, and I think that's Patrick Mahomes right now. It's definitely Patrick Mahomes. Brady has good Brady on the side, all, though, that matter. He played awful in the championship game. Ugh. All Three right. They lost, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really quickly. I know we said final thing like 17 times. I love what Brandon Staley say, like, oh, you know what? I'm giving the ball to my quarterback for 100%. 100%. We'll see if he does that because I think Matt, Matt LaFleur probably said that same exact thing. But, uh, you know, it was just a, a dumb decision. You know, a field goal still makes it a one-score game. You still have to score but another touchdown. To score, like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. All right. Thank you guys for listening to Most Authentic Place of Sports. Thank you, Steven, again. Go check out yeah. their podcast. They do great work. Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, follow them on Twitter. They do a lot of stuff on YouTube now. They just hit over a thousand subs. So congrats to you guys as well. Thank you. And we'll be back tomorrow again. Matt Brooks tomorrow. John Vogel, SH Mock Draft Special on Thursday. Great week of football. Peace out. Thanks, guys.